But let's just see if we have any questions or comments on this item. Board colleagues. Let's go with Ms. Talento. Thank you for the presentation. I really appreciated all the, the information you provided. Uh, I have two questions. Sure. My first question is if you could um, talk a little bit about the lockdown drills that we do. Uh, I know that um, there's a what kinds of incidents our students are actually practicing for in the drills. Okay, and sure. Just to uh, provide uh, some background for the question is, I've been reading, um, it's unfortunate that we are having school shootings in the country right now, but what I've been reading in the most recent reports is that the students are um, reacting in the way that they have practiced and it has really minimized uh, fatalities and injuries. And I'm curious, do our lockdown drills cover that in being mm -hmm. in, the, in an area? So. I wanted to get some Sure, back and you're there. absolutely right. Anytime you practice something in an emergency, you'll do better. And so uh, here there are, for lockdown drills, there are four, two required in the first 20 days. Now, you mentioned an active shooter. Uh, a lockdown drill is sort of uniform for any threat, including that to staff right. or students. So in the case of a, lock, of a lockdown drill, they would put out the appropriate placards, secure their classroom, turn out the lights, pull down the blinds, turn off their communications devices, and be quiet. And that's for any threat to life uh, that's, uh, that takes place, whether it be an active shooter or something else. Thank you, that's very helpful. I, I know that my daughter would come home and said we had a lockdown drill, and when I read this update, I realized, do you know, I don't know if I really know what the details are that so I appreciate that and then my second question is do we have a timeline for when um, our radio communications will be addressed at all of our schools I know we're not or my understanding is we're not at a hundred percent at every school. yeah there are actually that's a two-part question because we operate two radio systems um, the 800 megahertz is the public safety network and that is something we've been working on for probably three years also. Uh, that includes, requires that DAS that we talked about. Uh, and this past year, we put a distributed antenna system in Kenmore and in Williamsburg. And as we address these, it's those schools that have been identified with the most serious problem. And that's not to alarm you, the problem is not that severe. It's what generally happens is uh, an area that's below grade or something like that. Uh, in, in fact, at Williamsburg, the system only covers the lower level of Williamsburg because the upper system is absolutely fine. So we've done those two schools. We go back and check the existing schools to make sure they're maintained. And next in line is Gunston and Jefferson. Jefferson will be done in conjunction with Fleet Elementary School because the system will support both, though we have no reported problems at Jefferson. and. Uh, Gunston is scheduled for later this year. Uh, one of the things that's worked out very well, uh, I got a call from the, uh, from the county and they said, well, how do you know the antenna system's working well? Uh, because we want to be sure when police and fire come that the radios work. Right? And I just sort of laughed because we're using 800 megahertz radios in those schools and so if the antenna system doesn't work, Trust me, I get a call that uh, the radios aren't working in our school, so we actually have sort of a built-in check to make sure that they're working properly. Now, the VHF radios, again, at the elementary school level, we have some problems, minor. Uh, we're currently addressing that. 
uh, as fast as we can by the installation of repeaters. Uh, we also found out because we're using repeaters takes more radio frequencies because you receive on one and transmit it on another, we needed additional frequencies. Just two weeks ago, we were granted additional VHF licensed frequencies by the FCC to help address that problem. Uh, like I said earlier, the PO for Outdoor Lab and uh, McKinley just cleared, and so I expect that will be done in the next month, and it, it just is a continuing process. Uh, uh, I do this in conjunction with Extended Day, uh, something that wasn't done in the past so that we can also improve their radio communications. We're putting them on the same repeater. Uh, we're giving them the chance to be able to talk back and forth to administrators, and they are more than happy to work with me on that and uh, understand that even after school we want, you know, we want good communications. Ms. Van Doren? I had two questions, now, now I have three, because uh -oh. I need closure. Did you catch the guys? I'm sorry? The two guys in Williamsburg, I need to know. You just said you found them and you saw them and you sent people, so did you catch them? <laughs> we did not catch them. Ah, I, I okay. have to say that, and I was, I was as disappointed as you were. <laughs> I heard this and I was like, oh great. Uh, unfortunately, is, and Williamsburg is a large school yes. and has a lot of doors. And uh, I don't know what happened, whether it was the first couple of officers on the scene or something, but they went out the back and got away. Well, but next that's, time. But I mean, that's a very good example, though, of things that have happened. Um, and uh, you know, I think uh, in the future I'll try and document some more for you because I think it's, it's, while these are very minor, it actually shows a great capability for our communication center to bring up those cameras and be able to see in the schools in an emergency. That's and, great. And, and, and I think there was an inquiry about what an emergency is. And we actually have an MOU, a three-page MOU, with the police department, or I shouldn't say police department, with the Office for Emergency Management that covers accessing the cameras. And I will tell you, it's very restrictive. They can only access the cameras for an emergency, which is a police or fire response. If they access the cameras, they have to report back to us that they have so that we can review the incident. And in three years, I'm, I don't recall a single incident where the Office for Emergency Management accessed our cameras inappropriately. Great, and that was my second question, oh, because good. with the ability to access the cameras comes the um, responsibility of doing that. And I know that our parents would be concerned about how much people are observing their, their students. Uh, it's understandable for school staff, but you're going outside of that, but you've just answered that question, so you, you read my mind. I'm glad. But the third question I have connects um, somewhat to the first, in that you can have all the physical security in the world, but you really need people trained to use what you've put in the schools. Um, years ago, we had great locks, but people prop doors open. You can have cameras that get blocked because people put something over them. You can have you know, cameras that don't work. Uh, th there are lots of ways that that can n not work. So what kind of systematic training do we have so that people understand how to use the, the devices so that they're used well in the schools? Okay, you tricked me. There's about three questions there. So I'm going to try. I'm it has try, to do I'm, with training regarding. Yes, it's yes. not just about well, first the cameras of all, in, ter in, ter in terms the of the doors, you know, we work hard to keep our schools secure. All, all doors are supposed to be locked. If we find a door unlocked, uh, then that's information I would take up with Ms. Johnson and she would speak with uh, the principal at that school. 
they remain locked at all times. Uh, that's our first line of defense, so to speak. Anytime you talk about security, the more layers you have, the more effective it is. And so that, in fact, is one of our layers, and we work hard on that. Um, we've added a number of uh, access control uh, doors. Uh, many of the schools, I think three in the last year, Randolph, Career Center, and Yorktown, we've rekeyed all the exterior doors to ensure that only a few people had keys in case they were lost or stolen and relying more on access control because we think that makes it a more secure environment. Uh, as for the training, the first part of training, most of our training is provided to staff by the SROs and that is worked on with Ms. Johnson, so uh, she may be able to address that better. I do some training with the staff. I've done a couple of tabletops with them on incidents, but that's the extent of it that I do. I think that uh, the more, I, as in the area of security and safety, I think the more uh, you do, both in uh, addressing these things with physical security and training, the better you get. I think we're, uh, I don't think we're there, but we've made great progress over the last three or four years in getting there. Okay, uh, Dr. Murphy, I don't know if Ms. Johnson wants to comment, but the training really, I think, is important because I know we've come a long way, but remembering to use the swipe cards, not letting strangers in the building, making having people sign in, all of those are practices that's using the devices, but it requires training and consistent use. I remember at one point we were having an issue with people not wanting to wear their badges, and then we got over that. There are a whole lot of things that have to do with training, and I'm just wondering how that's going. Ms. Johnson, you want to speak to some of the things that we uh, have in place? Well, I, I do think um, Ms. Van Dorn touched on quite a few of them. I think it's uh, an ongoing process that we have to constantly review and we have to have some checks and balances. So when you talk about the swipe cards and, you know, prompting the doors, those are the things that we remind people is part of our safety protocol. So I think from the very onset, we want to remind ourselves that safety is always in the forefront of our mind. And so we do take steps to ensure that people are getting the right message. And in the work that we do, that's an ongoing process. I know that Dr. Murphy puts out messages regularly about safety, whether it has to do with preparing for the beginning of the school year, or it has to do with the weather, or it has to do with some kind of incident that does occur. But as far as the training, we have our emergency management preparedness book, and at the very beginning of the year, every administrator and staff member receives that. There's an expectation that everyone is trained and becomes familiar with that document. And then as we mentioned earlier, um, as Kevin mentioned earlier, there are ongoing practices throughout the year, um, um, specifically around certain um, drills, the fire drills, of course, the lockdown drills. We do follow the state directive when it comes to the tornado and earthquake. So that has become part of our protocol and our procedures for training. It's probably equally important to remember that whenever we have any kind of an emergency that does in fact occur, it is important to debrief after that incident occurs. So each school does also have a crisis management team that involves staff members, counselors, the police department, and we take advantage of those opportunities as well to kind of reflect on how an incident was managed and to improve on those practices. So that's another element of training as well. So it's very much a tiered approach and it's ongoing. Thank you, and I, I'll just, we'll do a follow-up later, but I'm more interested in the day-to-day, -day, everyday kind of security practices that a school has in place 
in terms of their normal operations, and then also the communication to the students and to the families to participate in that. So I'll follow up on that. We don't have to go into it more, but that's really what I'm, I'm interested in, the human beings who are making sure our students are safe and that we're all on the same page. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if one of you want to elaborate on uh, a, for instance, of a secure the building when there's an event that occurs in the community and the process that we go through with the secure the building and communicating with parents and also what staff does. I think that's a perfect okay. example of maybe something that Ms. Van Dorn is really questioning about. You asked earlier about a lockdown and the lockdown drills. And one thing I'll touch on is when uh, a lockdown drill takes place, it's coordinated with the police department. So they actually come in and make sure that the school uh, that uh, our staff is doing appropriately and note any places that are deficiencies so they can be addressed. Uh, the other major, uh, generally you hear lockdown and unfortunately sometimes it's misused on TV or on the radio. Uh, the next is secure the building. And so we're very often a jurisdiction, they're actually at secure the building, but the news media reports is a lockdown. A lockdown is everyone in their classroom, uh, no one leaves, the door secure, lights out, everything. Uh, a lesser of that is secure the building. And what happens is if there is a, even a possible threat outside the school building, say for instance, uh, a bank robbery took place near a school and they don't know where the suspect is, uh, a school may go to secure the building, which merely means that anyone outside will be brought inside staff and students will remain in the, in the school, the doors will be secured and visitors will not be allowed in uh, until the police have cleared the area. There are some, I have to say, we're, we're lucky enough that we work so well with the Arlington County Police Department that very often in an instance like that, in order to allow buses to depart or buses to arrive, they'll actually post an officer to oversee it if we're insecure of the building so that dis the operations aren't totally disrupted but that's another way that we ensure and then messaging goes out to the parents and I'll let Ms. Johnson pick it up from there. Yeah, I think that's an important piece and we work very closely with the Office of School and Community Relations to try to ensure that a message goes out to our parent community when any kind of incident occurs in within close proximity to a school and so those messages can actually be tailored and they go out through APS talk. So. That's one way in which we inform parents. Okay. Uh, Mr. Goldstein. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me, thank you, Kevin. Um, it's a good presentation. I got two quick questions for you. Um, you were talking about that hardware, the distributed antenna system and the 800 megahertz radios and the other uh, VHF radios. And you know, thinking about this from a budget perspective, I'm wondering uh, what's the life uh, on that hardware and, and that technology because you know technologies fall away and yes. these technologies come forward and of course you, then you got to spend more money on those so it, you know if you can kind of look down the road and estimate this is there anything in the past that we know you know this radio lasted for this long and then the new technology overtook it and then another technology overtook that it's VHF UHF 800 are here to stay uh, 800 is the best radio frequencies to use, and that's why police and fire use them. Um, and that technology 
while radio equipment goes through cycles and improves, generally, usually the lifespan is seven to eight years. Um, the equipment we're using, for instance, at the elementary school level, the VHF radios, one of the things we're addressing is that there never was a program to maintain and even upgrade them, so we're now doing that, uh, and then also as part of that, doing maintenance on them to make sure that they're, you know, they're going to be operable. And so, uh, you know, I think any any hardware that's true, I think it doesn't happen quite as much with the radio systems. And uh, since the 800 are working off the county's network, we don't have that burden, which is the, the larger one of maintaining. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so my second question is, going to the school bus uh, stop arm cameras, mm -hmm. you had a map about uh, an area of the county where we had the most violators and it was right there on the county line yes do you have a guesstimate as to why that spot is kind of the site of so many violations we have cameras on 20 buses and we actually make a point of spreading them around the county and not concentrating on any one area uh, for a number of reasons and, and one is we don't want people passing a school bus anywhere and so you never know where they are in fact, we uh, have five buses that have camera pods that don't work, that we picked up as decoys so that uh, our bus drivers actually told us they saw people sort of hesitate and they thought they were realizing they didn't have a camera on them and going by. And so we're actually the only school system in the state that actually has decoy pods on their buses to try, to try and help uh, encourage people to stop. Uh, that particular end of the pike, very often if you look at those spots, it has a lot, of do, lot to do with the road construction. Um, generally we get more violations on uh, double lane highways um, and the west end of Columbia Pike there is, fits that bill and if you look at a couple of the other spots, they tend to, uh, the people in that lane want to stop and what happens is the people in the opposing lane either choose not to or aren't familiar with the law and uh, continue on by. And the law is very, the Virginia law uh, states that there has to be a raised median between lanes, otherwise you're required to stop for a bus. And uh, I, I think that's a lot of it. If you look at those hot spots, it has a great deal to do with uh, where the buses are stopping and picking up. I think also there's a lot of stops in that area. Um, there's a lot of high rises uh, and the density increases the number of buses in that part of the county. I think that also adds to it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks very much. Mr. Grady, yes. I, we use the acronym SRO a lot, but I don't know if every parent knows what that means, so I just wanted to... Sure. SRO is school resource officer. Yeah, I, I can honestly say I literally talk to them every day. Uh, for something at the school. I mean, it's sort of, uh, Ms. Johnson is the official liaison, and so the policy issues go through her, but uh, very often they alert me to things that need to be addressed in the school, security, uh, physical security, whatever it might be, parking issues, uh, do not enter signs, or something else, and we find that, you know, we're able to uh, address whatever they raise very quickly that way. And, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, having come from the police department, I'm a little biased, but I think uh, we have some very fine SROs. They do a great job uh, 
keeping our schools safe and also working with our students. And I just wanted to quickly reiterate that it would be great, another great reason to sign up for School Talk is because if there is a message like this um, that might impact when your child comes home on the bus, it's good to be um, signed up um, for School Talk to, to hear if there's any uh, issues in your school that might impact when your child would come home because a bus might be delayed. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, much Mr. Reardon. Last um, chance. It's nice to see your program, you know, thriving. And, uh, you know, since we've watched over the years to see the, the things that you're up to. So really terrific work. Thank you very much. Good night. Yes.